0: University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. When audience were surveyed in the mid-2000s in regards to which Disney films uh, were the most memorable of the last decade, the results skewed highly in favor of Pixar movies. We're talking about films in the time period such as Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Toy Story 2, Cars, and Finding Nemo. This was in comparison to the Disney animator films at the time, which were consisting of films like Treasure Planet, The Emperor's New Groove, and Atlantis. In fact, it was becoming increasingly aware to Disney filmmakers that the only movie hits they had had in the last decade were were a result of their partnership with Pixar Animation. And coincidentally, their contract with this fledgling company was coming to an end. So Disney made a very important pivotal decision. They would purchase Pixar Studios for a whopping 7.4 billion dollars. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of cash laying around somewhere? And the result was they would rebrand their entire company to fit by the Pixar model. And the result of this rebrand gave us movies like Frozen and Zootopia and Moana and The Princess and the Frog and Wreck-It Ralph. And if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know those movies, you clearly don't have children because those have been big hits over the last decade plus. It's amazing what a rebrand can do to a company's trajectory. We are in our series, Rebranding. We're examining how we see ourselves and others. In reality, the way that we see ourselves matters. It directly correlates to the way that we see everyone and everything else in the world. And self-perception is one of the most challenging aspects of being human. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what it would take to see ourselves in a different light through God's eyes, such as a person who is valued and loved, rather than a person who's indistinguishable and worthless. For today's conversation, we're going to take a look at the book of Exodus chapter 31 verse 1. Now, as you're turning there, let me set the scene for you. Moses has declared to Pharaoh, let my people go. That was a pretty good Charleston Hessen, right? Thumbs down? No. Okay, a lot of people are critical in here. Those online, I know you're. Uh, assume you're applauding my amazing ability to do Charlton Heston. So Moses has led the people out of Egypt. This is the guy that once was a prince of Egypt, later became a murderer on the run, then called by God through a burning bush to set the people free from slavery in Egypt. And through a series of great signs and wonders from God, Moses eventually garners the Hebrew people's freedom, leading them out of Egypt, only to have Pharaoh change his mind and chase after the people with an army. The people feel stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. Here, God gives Moses the strength to part the waters of the sea for the people to pass through on dry ground, only to swallow up the Egyptian army as they bore down on the people. We know Moses as the guy that goes atop of Mount Sinai to receive these great Ten Commandments from God or Fifteen Commandments, if you've seen Mel Brooks' History of the World. This is actually a, a scene of our passage where it takes place. It's on Mount Sinai. God also gives Moses instructions on the way that the people should live their lives, on how and where they should worship, and so much more. Moses joins Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph among the great figures of the Hebrew people. And yet this passage is not about Moses. It's about a man named Bezalel. Who? You might be thinking. Who exactly is this guy? And why should we be reading about him this morning? Up to this point in Exodus, his name does not appear at all in the scriptures. His grandfather's name was more well known, for he was a master craftsman. In fact, his grandfather was such a gifted artist that he would be chosen by Aaron, Moses' brother, in an act of rebellion against God while Moses was on Mount Sinai. Moses had been up to the mountain for a very long time, and people were starting to get bored and restless and even rebellious. So they collected uh, all their gold, having Bezalel's grandfather smelt it into a form of a golden calf to worship. And considering that the first commandment God was giving Moses on the mountain was that they should have no other gods before God, you can see how well that went over when Moses came down the mountain. Bezalel's grandfather brought great shame upon his family. His family went from being known as great artists and craftsmen to peddlers of a false god and leading the people astray. Bezalel's settled into this deep feeling of futility and insignificance. Did I mention what his name actually means? It literally translates from the hebrew in the shadow of god i mean there is no stamp a feeling of insignificance than your very name saying what you might be experiencing and i wonder if we can pause here in our story to reflect on connecting to bezalel the feeling of insignificance and futility are very real do you ever go into a funk whether because you see yourself in light of someone else's success or just you feel like your whole life and work aren't making a difference. And for many, we have this feeling of insignificance because of the job we have. We slog through our role every single day comparing ourselves to the head of the company or our friends who seem to be working a job that is making a difference. That feeling of insignificance can come from any number of places. We become consumed with the sense of futility at home. In relationships and friendships and abilities and life choices in the past and present, and most certainly in the future. We live in a world that compels us to do something significant. We honor artists and musicians and actors and leaders with trophies and awards for their great achievements. We track the likes and followers and subscribers on social media, declaring this person to be a YouTube star or a, this person to be an Instagram influencer. As one psychologist put it, a new species has been born, homoglobulus, global man. We are defined by our intimate connection to a global uh, network, which has turned ranking and rating people on scales of wealth and celebrity into an obsession. In the past, striving to become a, a teacher or an accountant was reputable and an attainable goal. But today, even high achievers constantly fear that they are insignificant when they compare themselves up to the success stories propagated by by the media, by us on social media. We feel as if these unfair scales are going to drop on us anytime soon. As one person put it, existential psychology has shown the depth of the human need to matter, to make a difference, to feel significant purpose in the world. We all need to feel that we do something that matters within the frame of reference that defines our experiential world. The question is, what is that frame of reference? For many, this leads us to feelings of insignificance, of futility for for some even depression. And you, you can't rationalize With these feelings. It's this ubiquitous cloud that hangs over you, following you wherever you go, affecting the way that you see yourself, your relationships, your work, and the world. The brain is complicated, and when it's tired and not functioning at its best, we begin to believe these things, feel these things, and subscribe to these ideas that don't even really make sense. The result is that we are highly unstable in self-esteem and unstable in society. And there are a lot of challenging emotions associated with futility and insignificance, including anger and resentment and disappointment, fear, insecurity, lack of control, hesitation, and anxiety for, for just starters. Do you feel like you are living in futility and insignificance? But just because you feel your efforts are futile doesn't mean they are futile. Believing those feelings and letting yourself stall or not start with the effort to help is a terrible loss. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And this is where Bezalel is when we read our text in Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic design for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts." The power of this moment is so remarkable. Keep in mind the actions of Bezalel's grandfather has brought great shame and ill repute to what's happening right now at the base of the mountain in Mount Sinai. But Moses isn't down there. Moses is on top of the mountain and has no idea what's happening down below, but he knows that God has chosen this insignificant person to do something great. In fact, if you recall Uh, your wisdom of Exodus, when Moses comes down from the mountain, seeing the people worship this golden calf, he throws down and smashes the Ten Commandment tablets and later has to get a new copy. In turn, this means that Bozalel, while he is watching his grandfather bring shame upon his house and was settling into this overwhelming sense of insignificance, has no idea that God has chosen him for something great. And that's the power of this moment. God sees through our deeply rooted feelings of futility and insignificance. God knew what was happening at the base of the mountain. God knew that Bezalel's family was going to feel the the brunt of regret and shame for rebelling against God. God knew what was in Bezalel's heart and he felt smaller and smaller, less and less hopeful about what his future might hold. And God saw through all this, he saw something great in this young man. Verse 3 tells us that God saw wisdom and ability and knowledge and great faith within him. He saw extraordinary skills of an artist and craftsman that can make brilliant designs with art and stone and woodwork. If you cannot connect with Bezalel, then maybe this message is something you need to hear this morning. God sees you right where you are. And that job that you don't see the worth, and the gifts and strengths that don't seem to be making a difference, and those friendships that make you feel less than what you are, and those life circumstances that seem to be futile, and those deeply rooted feelings of anger and resentment and disappointment and fear and insecurity and lack of control and hesitation and anxiety. God sees an individual with a unique array of insights and perspective and gifts and strengths, and assets, and personalities, and passions, and interests, and experience, and so much more. I'm reminded of the story from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has begun this public ministry. Again, Jesus, being the incarnation of God's presence here on earth, is beginning the most significant three years of human existence by showing people the way of God, by teaching them about the way of God and truth, to perform miracles and radically change lives forever, to be arrested and brutally murdered for the sake of all of humanity. And so to start his ministry, Jesus calls people to follow him, just like the rabbis and teachers of his day would have done. And usually the rabbis would have selected the best of the best students to complete years of study and memorization of scripture. And since it's kind of a big deal, the son of God and all, He's going to need to pick the best of the best. Jesus needs to pick the top of the class, the the magna cum laude, the, the Rhodes Scholars. But Jesus surprises us by not picking the A team or even the B team. For among the people that he chose to be his 12 disciples were peasants, common fishermen, illiterate teenagers, zealous militants, and tax collectors. He quite literally picked the C and D team candidates. The disciple story and Bezalel's story teaches us something quite significant about what God sees in us. But it's not about what God sees in us because God's love for us compels us out of insignificance. Here's what Bezalel, with no knowledge of what God had in store for him, all he knew was that he felt about himself and his family after the shame of the events of the golden calf. And yet God spoke power and courage into his life through love to compel him to see himself differently and to see the work of his hands differently. Verse three tells us that God filled Bezalel with the power of the Holy Spirit for what was in store for him. That's the same spirit that, that spoke life into existence. That spirit that parted the waters of the Red Sea that lit a pillar of fire that guided the people through the wilderness. The disciples experienced this in Jesus. There is nothing wrong with being a tax collector or simple fisherman or illiterate peasant or young person. However, Jesus compelled them out of a sense of futility into a sense of purpose. Jesus invited them to a journey to change the world. God loves you so much. And it's a love that seeps into the deep caverns of our wrought and frustrating emotions. It is a light and dark places that compels us forward when we don't know the way out. And this is why the invitation of Jesus is so powerful. For it is only Jesus that can lead us into a way of truth that brings transformation deeply rooted in significance and powerful purpose to our existence. God inspires us through love, to see ourselves, the work of our hands, the relationships, the stations of life, the past and present and the future as something that matters. And if we allow ourselves to believe God sees beyond how we feel about ourselves, that faith instills the power of God's spirit within us to do something that we are not capable of doing on our own. And, and if you don't believe me, then look at what happens in Bazalel's journey in verse 6. Moreover, I have appointed Eliab, the son of, I'm not even going to attempt that word here as I'm trying to speak this live, of the tribe of Dan to help him. Also, I give ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded of you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant of the law, with the atonement covered on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and the articles, the pure gold lamps and all the accessories, the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offerings, and all the utensils with the basin with its stands. And also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron and the priest, the garments for his sons, when they serve the priest and the anointing of the oil and uh, fragrant incense of the holy place, they are to make them as I have commanded you. What did God choose Bezalel to do? But to create the visual illustrations of God's presence among the people. It takes creativity and imagination and bringing it into reality. And according to the narrative of Exodus, Bezalel was definitely called and empowered to direct the construction of the tent meetings its sacred furniture, and also prepared the priest's garments and oils and incense required for service. This means that he designed the tabernacle, the portal of sacred uh, space that traveled with the Hebrew people. He designed the Holy of Holies within the great tabernacle, the symbolic seat of of God's presence with them. He created the Ark of the Covenant and the other sacred relics within the tabernacle. And in turn, his design inspired what would become the temple in Jerusalem, which is historically viewed as one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world and whose remaining Western wall stands for the Hebrew and Christian and Muslim religions of this day as an important place. Bazalel's creativity and ingenuity quite literally has been recognized across millennia, and yet we don't even know his name. Bezalel, from insignificance, to historical influencer. He was not a, a great leader. He was not a mighty warrior. He wasn't even a Levitical priest, and yet God chose him and used his gifts and strengths and wisdom to make a difference. Bazalel teaches us the power of insignificance, rising out of the shame of the choices we have made, or maybe even our families, and being used by God to make a difference. He teaches us the power of understanding and using our God-given strengths in our, in our work, in our relationships, and in our life. And he also teaches us about the power of following God's leadership and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Stories like Bazalel are, are wonderful and extraordinary. However, it can often leave us asking the question, but can I make a difference? You see, we see figures like Martin Luther King's and Mahatma Gandhi and Malala Yousafzai and Mother Teresa and believing that making a difference means that we have to do it on a grand scale like they did. But for every Gandhi or Dr. King, there are millions of people whose names we will never know. But they go to work every single day performing the crafts with excellence and intelligence and, and integrity who invest presence and relationships, who love their neighbors with compassion. We are all more likely to be one of these people, one of these people who our name is not gonna be recognized in history. Like some someone might have to do some careful reading to even recognize our names among the pages of people like Moses and Joseph and Ruth and Esther and David and Samuel. The answer to the question, can I make a difference, is yes. As one person put it, the fear of insignificance can only be overcome through strong individual and cultural identity over and above measurable achievements. So, let me give you just a few very brief practical ways that you can make a difference. The first is to trust God, trust that God's view of you matters than the, all the false narratives that lead you to feel insignificant. This is first and foremost the most critical step because believing what God sees in us is a trajectory of faith that propels us forward into seeing ourselves as more. Do you believe that God loves you, values you, believes in you, and has equipped you to make a difference right here where you are? And if not, Why? Often we do not trust God because we look at everything and everyone else for outlets of affirmation. Significance is not defined by recognition and accolades. So that means that stepping away from these mechanisms that cause us to feel insignificant is so important. For some, that's social media. Because all you can see is just how many more likes someone else got on their post and how many followers this person has on Instagram. For others, this means shutting off cable news, realizing that these news outlets are quite literally a business selling you a product, a carefully packaged worldview that drives you to fear and isolation bent towards consumerism of more of their product. And still for others, the mechanism that causes you to live into the delusion of insignificance and futility are relationships, friendships eating and drinking habits, worldviews, and so much more. Our, Our bodies are complex systems that respond to what we take in, and what we take in is something that we visually do, something that we orally do, auditorily, mentally, and spiritually. Create those boundaries by allowing God to set those boundaries in your life to show you that you matter. The second thing I think you should do is hone in on your gifts and strengths and assets and passions that God has given you. Through the power of God's Spirit within us, we can not only see what God sees, but we are equipped to make a difference in the world and the lives around us. So consider those things that are true about yourself that you might always have just seen as commonplace skills. Could it be that your ability, no matter if it's kindness or or creativity, or strategic thinking, or asking good questions, or hospitality, or the ability to talk to strangers, is something that God can use to make a difference. As Paul wrote to the Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. The third thing you can do is that, to make a difference is to change your perspective of the, of the person you see in the mirror and that that propels uh, you to frequently change the way that you see others around you. God has given you this life and put you in this place for a reason. The, the roles that lives into other parts of your life are bigger than humanity's experience in the transforming power of love and progress in God's kingdom. Uh, researcher uh, Nicholas Kratosky and, and James Fowl use a business game model to show that, that we can make a bigger difference than we realize by looking at how contagious kindness is in our world, by looking at three degrees of separation. I think we've got a model for it up there, Glenn, if we can show them. This means that that when you do something kind for someone, they will likely be kind or kinder to someone else. That's one degree. And the recipient of that kindness, one degree will be kind or even kinder to someone else, the second degree, and the recipient at the second degree will be kind and kinder to someone else, that's the third degree. In real life, it, it means so much more and is so much more interesting. When you're kind to someone, when you take the time to be present in your life and the people that God has put around you, you are quite literally multiplying the change that you can do in this world. Just taking the time to talk to someone, to speak truth into their life to listen to their story rapidly affects more and more people than you realize that's five people at one degree of separation from you think about that when's the last time you showed someone kindness didn't you find yourself being a little nicer to others afterwards and when is that god has put us in a place to have a bigger impact than we realize so may we open ourselves up to new possibilities May we see where God is leading us. Often the feeling of insignificance is a direct result of the repetitious routines of our life, doing the same thing day after day. And we're willing to follow the leadership of God. Then we can begin to see often the subtle and new opportunities that God has presented within our lives each day to lead us to people and places and opportunity that we can be used to make a difference. Bezalel didn't know that coming down from the mountain was Moses' and a calling from God to make a difference. The disciples didn't know that the Son of God would choose them to radically change the world forever. Recognize today is all that we have and approaching today with intentionality about making a difference in your life and the lives of others. I'm reminded of of this story from a few years back of a woman that climbed into the branches of a 180-foot tree The tree was about uh, 1,500 years old. It was a redwood in Northern California. And she began living on a platform at the top where loggers were down below chopping down trees. This young lady ended up living in the tree for 738 days, more than two years. And by the time she came down from the tree, the loggers had felled all the trees around her except she was able to secure an agreement from the logging company to save not only the one tree, but all those that were 200 feet around them. You see, one person can make a difference, an impact in the world around us. This morning, my prayer is that you will believe in God, life of significance. Let's enter into a time of reflection and response.